Friends, what a gift it is to get to be with you this Sunday. Um, for those of you who were with us last week, you know that we are now in what is called the season of Lent. The season of Lent is a 40-day season where we as Christians, as we who are followers um, of Christ, we take a journey with Jesus to the cross. And so over the course of the next 40 days leading up to Easter, these days in the season called Lent are spent in a time of prayer, self-examination, uh, it's spent in scripture reading, it's spent in maybe asking ourselves what are some of the things that we need to let go of and what are some of the patterns that we need to pick up that we might be made more in the likeness of Jesus as we take this trek through the wilderness. These 40 days that lead us to Easter, it's a season of preparation where we say that who we are today is not who we want to be tomorrow, and who we are tomorrow is not who we want to be on the 40th day when we find ourselves saying, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, alleluia, living out of the power of Christ's resurrection. But this isn't only about a personal uh, transformation in our lives over the course of 40 days, but it's to recognize that God makes all things new. That when we are just in ourselves, then there is justice in the world. When we are honest with ourselves about the ways in which we judge or, or we are heart of heart, then we begin to see the world also begin to shift. When we are cognizant of how we want to keep power over and not power with, we begin to also see in the world how power is distributed in ways that are meant for people's flourishing and not for their demise. But 40 days, which may seem like this liminal, very short amount of time, also represents a time of fullness or fulfillment of promise. So in these 40 days, as we begin to imagine what God might be able to do in us individually, we can also have a grand imagination what God might be able to do in this world. So that when we say Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, alleluia, we see Christ's resurrection power in us and also Christ's resurrection power displayed in the world. But it is in these 40 days that we prepare ourselves trusting and believing that something grand might happen. This season, which is marked by self-examination and prayer and reading of scripture, is also marked by a discipline that we're going to talk about this morning, which is confession. There are two particular passages of scripture that are found in the Psalms that oftentimes are read during the season of Lent that help us to understand this gift that we have, and yes, Confession is a gift. <laughs> the first one is in Psalm chapter 32, which is a Psalm of David, where, Psalm says, uh, where uh, David says this, that um, David acknowledges his sin to God and does not hide his iniquity. And then says, because of this, I will not hide my transgressions, or I will not hide my sins before God. But instead, I know and I trust that God will forgive me of the guilt of my sin. Basically, it's a, a psalm where, where David says, you know what? I'm going to just be honest before God, but I also trust that God is going to forgive me. And then the second passage of scripture, which I'm going to read, which is found in Psalm 51, which is oftentimes read on Ash Wednesday as a passage of scripture of cleansing and pardon, after David has committed a grave sin against God and against community. 
If you've heard Psalm 51 before, or maybe you've heard it multiple times, I'm going to invite you to hear these words with new ears. That they might land on your heart. And that these words might invite you this day to be honest before God. Hear now these words in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that passage uh, in verse 5. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then the psalmist says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, would you take these very human words and pour out your Holy Spirit upon them that words etched on pages might become words etched upon our hearts. Would you turn down the volume on any of our inner voices that might seek to distract us so that we are able to hear your still small voice alone? Oh God, who is good and merciful, would you speak to us? For your servants are listening. We pray this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who is called the living word. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When I was in seminary, there was a PhD candidate who had done um, a good bit of work around um, veterans who had returned from the Vietnam War and how they found their place within their faith communities. 
And one of the interesting things that um, this uh, dear uh, PhD candidate found out is that many of these um, Vietnam veterans had a lot of conflicting feelings about their participation in the war. Many of these Vietnam uh, uh, veterans had very conflicting feelings about how they were received when they came back uh, to the United States after serving time um, abroad. But what was so interesting about the work that he did and the research that he compiled is that he found that when some Vietnam veterans came back to their uh, home communities, back to their church communities, they were so grateful for the warm welcome that they received from their church homes. However, many of these Vietnam veterans wished that their church communities had given them space to confess. They loved that they were received warmly. But many of them did not want their church communities to gloss over the fact that there were some things that they were carrying in their bodies and in their minds that they were not at peace with. Many of these veterans wanted to speak out loud the harm that they feel like they had enacted towards other individuals. They wanted to speak out loud the things that they had seen that they could not unsee, the things that they had said that they could not unsay, the things th that they had done that they could not undo. They loved the warm welcome, but what was so interesting is that they wanted their communities to carve out space for them to be able to confess. You know, confession is not shaming. And I recognize that in the world that we live in, oftentimes when we share our truth or when we get vulnerable or when we unearth or reveal things about ourselves, it's oftentimes weaponized. And so then uh, we begin to think about being truthful or being vulnerable as, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to receive flogging or I'm going to be shamed. But confession is not shaming. Confession is naming and acknowledging the places where we are not aligned with God. It's naming and speaking the, the, the places in our lives where we are not at home in ourselves. It's, it's naming and speaking the ways in which we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. It's naming and acknowledging the ways in which we have not loved God or been a reflection of the God goodness that has been placed within us because we look like the divine and yet we do not live like the divine. Confessing our sins, our brokenness, our wounds, our pains, our hurts that we have enacted towards other individuals are the ways in which we say, this is when I have not been loving. This is when I have not been merciful. This is when I have rebelled against God's love. This is when I have not heard the cry of the needy. This is when I have not been just in myself or just in the world. This is when I have been reckless with other people's hearts. This is when I have commodified other individuals. This is when I have been manipulative. This is when I have not been good. When we confess, we are simply naming the ways in which we do not live into the God goodness that is in us. When we confess, we are acknowledging the ways in which we who are loved by God do not love others. When we confess, we are acknowledging that we who are made in the image of God 
how we then choose not to live or speak or do like God. So there's no need for me to give you some exhaustive list <laughs> of all the sins from adultery to xenophobia. Because we have all fallen short. There is all of us who have a place in our lives where we recognize this is when I have not lived in the way in which God has called me to live. This is the place where I have not spoken with words in the way and God would want me to use my words. This is the place where I have not used my power in the ways in which God would want me to use my power. Confession is not shaming, it is Naming and acknowledging where we have fallen short. But confession takes a lot of courage. <laughs> because it does require us bearing witness to the places in our lives where we are not uh, perfect. I don't know if you know this, but none of us are perfect. Confession... is the practice by which we have to say, okay, I am, I am human and I'm going to make some mistakes. Confession pushes us not to hide or to shapeshift or to scapegoat or to project. <laughs> Confession is when we speak with our lips, whether our human lips or from our hearts where we have not shown up for ourselves and where we have not shown up for others and where we have not shown up for God. It takes courage because it is so counter-cultural. Have you ever heard of a hospital system who very quickly admitted their guilt? <laughs> and how often do we hear of institutions who will say we recognize that we have just done harm? Some of us live in family systems where we're still waiting for someone to say the thing that they know that they did, that they have found really cute, pretty ways to make it seem like they did not do the thing that they did. Confession is difficult because it requires an honesty and an unearthing that reveals where we are not perfect. There is something very courageous then about David's posture in Psalm 51. He starts out with these words, have mercy on me, O Lord. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming full force. Because here's the thing. Um, David has just named to Nathan that he has done a deplorable thing before God. David, who is this mighty king, David, who has written these beautiful psalms, these songs in, in the scriptures, David, who is known for his might and for his wisdom, got a man killed so that he could exploit this man's wife. 
David, who dances before God, dances so hard before God at one point in time that he literally dances his clothes off. Does all of, I mean, this is like forensic files in the making, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. I mean, David did this grand, egregious, not the kind of thing that you tell everything about kind of thing. And David just has to say it. I have done, I have done, I have done a thing that does not reflect the God goodness in me. It's not an insignificant moment. And you begin to hear David's anguish in Psalm 51. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, O God, have I sinned. Then David even says, you know, I've been guilty from the time I've been conceived in my mother's womb. Now, what I want you to know is that this is not necessarily theology. What David is saying is that this is how bad I feel about myself. You know when you begin to tell yourself this narrative of like, I am, just, I, am so, I am so far gone. And David goes on to say that, you know, I hope that the bones that you have crushed, oh God, that they would rejoice. It's not that God has crushed David's bones. It feels like the weight of David's sin has crushed his bones. Actually, in Psalm 32, David will talk about how it feels like his bones are wasting away under the weight of his sin. You know when we say we need to get something off of our chest? When we feel like the things that we have done, whether they might feel small to you or big to you or big to someone else or insignificant to someone else, but it just feels like a heaviness. David is like, it feels like my bones are being crushed David names it. I know my transgressions. I know my stuff. <laughs> and against God, God alone, have I sinned. And sometimes my neighbors. And sometimes my family members and sometimes to people I do not know, and sometimes to people that I say that I care about, but then I don't treat them like I care about them, and sometimes when I participate in systems that are oppressive, or when I don't say anything about systems that are oppressive, and sometimes it feels like my bones are being crushed, and my heart is so heavy And I wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I wake up in the morning. And I'm still churning on these things. And if we only named the things that we have done, and then we just stopped there, 
do you recognize how cruel that would be? You know, in the Wesleyan tradition, we have this saying that accountability without grace is cruelty, and grace without accountability is being irresponsible. So here's the thing. If you were just to name the things, to say all the things, to share where you know you are broken and where you have not shown up for yourself and you've not shown up for others and you've not shown up for God, and then that was just the end, do you understand the weight that we would still continue to feel? But here's the beautiful thing about Psalm 51. David starts off like strong. Have mercy on me, O God. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you, you alone, O God, have I sinned. But then there's always this shift because we name not to be shamed, we name to be changed. There is always a shift. I know my transgressions, but create in me a clean heart, O God. I know that I don't always show up the way that I need to show up, but put a new and right spirit within me. I know that I feel like I've done some things that make my bones literally ache, and yet you're going to restore to me the joy of my salvation, that even my bones might rejoice. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. There is always a shift after our naming. Our naming doesn't come so that we might be shamed. Our naming is because we believe that God's going to meet us to change us. I can have the courage to talk about my brokenness because I also know God to be a mender. I can have the courage to share how I have harmed individuals because I actually have the trust that God is a restorer. Do you know one of the things that I absolutely love about the Southeast Raleigh table? Whenever I'm ever like, you know, uh, interviewed for a podcast or in different, in different settings and people say, what do you love about this particular church community? I will say to them that when folks have made mistakes, especially in regards to race, said things or done things or participated in systems that mean other people harm. Instead of folks in the Southeast Raleigh table getting defensive or digging in their heels, there have been moments when I have watched people say, and I want to name where I have done harm. Because you know that you have a God where the cross is not a cross of shame, but instead to undo condemnation. That you know that when you name, you're not going to just be left exposed. <laughs> that God will meet you in your naming, not with shaming, but to change you. Against you, you alone, O oh God, I have sinned. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. There are a lot of things that we do in church 
that probably come across as really strange to people. But maybe probably more than anything else, it's the fact that we come in this place and we get real honest. Most of us try to perform in other places of our lives. But it is in church that we collectively actually name our stuff. Because we also trust in how God might change our stuff. So maybe those um, veterans, they knew the grace and the redemption and the forgiveness that would meet them in a place like this. That instead of hiding or scapegoating or projecting or ignoring, they could name. They could name and trust that God can change. So this morning, we're going to get courageous with each other. And we're going to name maybe the places where we have also not shown up for ourselves, where we have not shown up for others, and maybe where we have not shown up for God. And we're going to do so through what is known as a litany of penitence. It's basically where we're going to name some of the places where we might fall short, but we're gonna also then ask God to meet us in those places. Notice that um, we're not going to say anything like, God, now flog us. Or God, come punish us. Or God, come after us. Grace is not getting what we deserve, which I think sometimes in our humanness, we wanna treat ourselves harshly. Grace is being met with a love that is unmerited. Not because we have done anything, but because God gives to us good gifts. If there's any part of this litany of penitence that just feels a little difficult for you to hold on to today, that's perfectly okay. Next week, we're going to do it again. And maybe you might find that there is a greater comfort or ease around these words. But as we name, might we trust in the ways in which God can come and change us. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, have mercy upon us. 
By the way, you can read the bold print. Sorry, friends. <laughs> from our pride, vanity, and hypocrisy, and from all our evil plans, deliver us. From our envy and malice, and from our hardness of heart, deliver us. From our sloth and worldliness, and our lack of compassion, deliver us. From our love of money, our hoarding of possessions, and our relentless desire to accumulate more, deliver us. From the lust for sexual pleasure that obscures the true gift of love in us and in others, deliver us. From the gorging of food, the indulging of our appetites and our neglect of the hungry, deliver us. From our hatred, anger, and quick temper, and from our reluctance to be reconciled with those we have hurt, deliver us. Give us true repentance. Forgive us our sins of negligence and ignorance and our deliberate sins. And grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit to amend our lives according to your holy word. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy upon us. Amen. And will you pray with me? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, O oh God. Free us for joyful obedience. And I might invite you in this time of silence to name before God the things on your heart that you may need to confess before God. Gracious God, you who free us so that we might joyfully follow you, would you create in us clean hearts, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us? Will we live in your forgiveness and in your redemptive power? that we might be people who know that we are changed, no longer holding on to the old, but that all things have been made new. This, O oh God, we pray in the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sustains. It is in your name that we pray, amen.